0: Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of
1: all time, plus all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry.
2: Well, hello again, everybody. It is Movie Moments. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry talking about the greatest movies of all time, and wherever you've downloaded us, Spotify, Apple, or wherever, just make sure you tell your friends about us and share us like and review us of course uh first weekend in december as we get to closer to christmas and we got a couple of very well actually a few very special guests on the show today chuck had a chance to interview uh neil mcdonough star of the new movie the shift you've seen him in the minor, minority report uh, maybe on uh, uh yellowstone a very, very recognizable uh face a great actor too uh he gets to talk to him about the new film uh of, I guess it's a spiritual thriller uh, called The Shift. We'll Talked about that. And he had a real good uh, conversation with the three creators of Cobra Kai. Josh Held, John Hurwitz, and Hayden Schlossberg. They have a new show out on Netflix, which I got a chance to watch a few episodes of called Obliterated. Uh, plus, Chuck, I, I watched Candy Cane Lane with Eddie Murphy on Prime Video, which was released this weekend as well. But let's say hi to Chuck first and foremost. Chuck, how you doing, my friend?
3: I'm doing really well, Mike. Good to be on with you again.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I watched Candy Cane Lane because basically, I mean, it's quiet at the theaters this weekend unless you want to see Beyonce's new uh, um, concert film, the action thriller, which is basically ripping off Die Hard called Silent Night um, with a uh, a very appealing actor. But I don't think Joel Kinderman's bringing people into the theaters, Chuck.
3: You know, this is a movie I think uh, 20 years ago might have made a, a, a minor dent at the box office. I, I unlike uh, the movie last year. Uh, that had a hardcore action-oriented Christmas theme. Yeah, with uh, Hopper, I I, uh, with Hopper yeah, from
2: uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, I,
3: I, I don't think this is going to make the same dent. Although the Beyonce film did do five million dollars in its previous Thursday. Although it's uh, they regard that as extremely front-loaded. It's probably going to do about $20, twenty twenty-five million in its opening weekend, which is no great shakes. That's good. That's a good opening. It's nobody expected to do the Taylor Swift concert uh, film number, but still, it's good for theaters. Obviously, it's good for for her because it's almost all cake that, uh, box office, but I'm glad to see they're injecting different product into multiplexes. I think that's a positive. Um, not
2: a positive is Eddie Murphy doing streaming films for Christmas, Chuck, um, candy cane lane on Amazon prime. Now look, is it a passable two hours? And yes, it is a two hour running time for this film, which is part of the problem,
3: but I guess two hours and one minute.
2: Yeah, two hours and one minute. They needed that extra minute. And there's a blooper reel at the end, too, to help, I guess, get you through the last minute there. Eddie Murphy, of course, uh, kind of he sold out to the streaming services, Netflix and Prime Video. But I can't see this movie being released in theaters, Chuck. um, It's just very, very, very average, a passable holiday film about Christmas decorating contest on the street. Um, he signs a deal with an elf and he could be uh, trans ordered into a miniature glass ornament if he doesn't do. I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish here. Uh it you know, it's it's fascinating to watch Eddie in this film. Oh, he looks great. He really looks good. He has some funny throwaway stuff and you can tell that uh, he has some timing still at the end when uh David Allen Green Greer shows up as Santa Claus, but it's just you know, for families on Christmas to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It'll be the only year they watch it because it's not going to be very memorable moving forward. Um, I'd recommend going back and watching Christmas Chronicles with Kurt Russell if you wanted a new Christmas holiday movie or even the spirited movie from last year, the musical with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Um, I think those movies will last a little bit longer than this one. This is just a head scratcher and you can only wonder, boy, what's Beverly Hills Cop going to be like when it gets released later on?
3: I got to tell you, I actually put it on last night. Um at my at my business because i was curious to see what it was like i didn't watch the whole thing but i did watch uh, a sizable amount of it and i i thought it is watchable but is not uh good enough to be released theatrical i i, I sat there somewhat shaking my head and realizing that these streamers like amazon unfortunately they're just interested in content i don't think yep. they really care about that yep. i don't think they care about these movies having uh a legacy and, and, you know what it's they're
2: you know what they're turning into, Chuck? They're almost turning into Hallmark these uh, streaming services. Just Christmas stuff after Christmas stuff. There was another one released on Disney Plus last week, uh, the Naughty Nine. I mean, it's just uh, there's production value behind it, but there's no and story and, behind and, it.
3: And then and Jennifer Garner has a movie, a, bo- a body switching movie, yeah. Yeah. on on Netflix. I got to ask you a question because I really, you know, I don't I don't like taking shots at actors or casting, but I don't get the casting of the uh, of the villain uh in, in candy cane lane that woman i mean i i just to me jillian I, bell It didn't she does not work at all in that jillian bell she
2: basically plays the same part in everything i've ever seen her in kind of as a smarmy wise-ass yeah. girl i mean um there's some appeal there but yeah it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever and
3: uh, let me let me ask you a question before we move on eddie murphy in terms of his legacy how do you think he's going to be remembered? I mean, obviously, he's got some great ones. Beverly Hills Cop is a classic. Uh, Trading Places is, 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 a, is a classic. A lot of his early work is horrific. Think, but but overall, give me your opinion on that.
2: To me, he is the – I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Saturday Night Live uh, alumni. He's definitely one of the four I'd put up there. The, I would say, to me, I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in saying probably the greatest African-American comedian ever. Um, and that, that would – to me include his stand-up, which is classic, but also on, on film and even TV. So, I mean, tell me somebody who's bigger. I mean, somebody might argue Bill Cosby, but we can't, we're not going to do that anymore. But to me, the greatest African-American comedian entertainer ever in the movies or on TV. Tell me, tell, bother, me who's de- it, tell me who's better.
3: And, and I'll no, I will argue. I'm not debating you. I, I love Eddie Murphy. I think he's a, a, an immense talent, but does it bother you that he does? Just- no. This, I mean, he's doing for a pay. It is what it is. I mean, yeah, I guess you know, it's he's in the latter days of his. I mean, he's past his
2: heyday, probably, although he probably couldn't do some other stuff. He looked, I, I still can't believe how good he looks, but and his performance on Saturday Night Live a couple of years ago as host might have been the best host performance in the last 25 years on that show. The guy's still yeah, got it. I he's agree. just, he's just, you know, I'm he's probably not getting the greatest scripts handed to him anymore. Um, it is what it is. Let but let me ask you, pound a for pound, the best African American comedian
3: uh, ever, as far as I'm concerned. What, what can we hope for for Beverly Hills Cop four? But if you had to take a guess between the quality and the greatness of the original film and the uh, over the top absurdity, the badness of Part three, what do you think we're going to get? Yeah,
2: I think what we'd want to see is something what Cobra Kai, the, those <laughs> creators have done for for the Karate Kid franchise, some nostalgic feeling um, and some good laughs some development of some of the other characters as well, like they did with the series. Now, granted, this is going to be a movie, not a series. I think, you know, the best you could hope for is what we got with Maverick. The worst you can hope for is a follow-up to Beverly Hills Got Three. Um, and then somewhere in between that TV series that kind of exists in a different universe, I don't even, you know, it, it's hard to explain, but I, you hope for the best. They gathered, gathered the gang again, the, the creators, everything's there yeah. for it to work. Which is good. You just got to hope you yeah. got a good script. Exactly. And we'll talk more about Cobra Kai um, and those creators, and we'll go through the Karate Kid franchise, some highs and lows from 1984 till current day in just a bit. But Chuck's probably got some movie news for us here we want to talk about.
3: Well, I want to just bring up uh, Jodie Forster. Forster gave an interview to Variety, and in the interview she said that the superhero genre is a phase. She's been in the business a very long time, and she's seen many phases. This is just a phase that's gone on to long sort of uh cementing a lot of the uh things we've said on this program over the last year i just want to make a statement to people listening it's not that me and mike don't like superhero movies we do i mean i've enjoyed them immensely i just think in an industry uh that that has been so diverse for you know a uh, hundred plus years people could go to theaters to see many different type of movies uh there's been a mistake made here where the studios have put all our eggs in in one basket and they've hurt the industry in many different ways. So I, I think it's good that Jody Foster said this re, re- you know, expanding on what Martin Skasey has said and been criticized uh, for, you have thoughts on Jody Foster with that comment?
2: Well, I mean, only to reiterate how much we agree and what you said too, um, uh, it's just played out. Uh, it's a long phase. I don't know how long something becomes, uh, gets out Very of long. phase, phase uh, uh, status, but, And there's another one coming down the pike that's gonna tank again. And that's Aquaman in Lost Kingdom already tracking at forty to fifty million dollar Christmas opening, a forty to fifty million dollar Christmas opening. And we know what the Marvels have done at the bet. Look, the audiences agree, Chuck. The studios just haven't caught up and figured it out. And they're just betting bad money after bad money.
3: Yeah, I mean the only thing where Aquaman has an opportunity here. It is doesn't. that if it, it no, but if it does open 40 to 50 million Christmas weekend, the week between Christmas and New Year's is historically very good. So, if there's not a lot of interest in the marketplace, it actually could do better than expected. Now, they did a, uh, a screening the other night of Wonk, I believe it was in England, uh, and some of the social media reaction came out to it. And much to my surprise, it's actually really positive. A lot of people say that Timothy Chalamet is quite charming in the movie, you is really good that the movie has some flaws, but overall it works. And they think it's going to radiate with Christmas audiences and do very, very well. And, 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 uh, I, I was actually surprised to hear that, uh, based on the trailers, which I thought, well, ah, you know, it's from the director Paddington. Those movies are a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not rooting against it. I hope it is a lot, a lot, of, a lot of fun Your thoughts on that one.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm not rooting against it either. And I think if it is good, it's got a chance to, to really catch some sure, I do too. money. I do too. So yeah, I, I, uh, that's positive for me to hear. I, I just, like you said, I was a little lukewarm with the trailer. I'm not quite sure how Hugh grin as an Oompa Loompa is going to work, but I am I look, I want, I don't want any movies to fail. Um, you know, I want these, I want people back in theaters getting excited. I love the Barbie, the Oppenheimer, that stuff. I love the Maverick, the, the, uh, movie moments that could be made. Oh, look, I used their title into in theaters still. Uh, it's just that it's too few and far between where Chuck, we used to get five movies like Maverick a year. You know, yep. um, now yep. we now we're lucky to find one in every five years. So I got I got I got another I got another one. Did you catch
3: a trailer to uh, Furiosa?
2: I did, I did. What do you think? Uh, um, it's interesting. Now look, I I find uh, uh I found the last Mad Max movie to be terrific. Um, Fury Road. I going into it, I'm not a huge Mad Max fan. I was kind of men's and men's up going into that film. And I thought it was one of the best movies of the year. And mainly because of that character, future, Futurosa and, uh, and what Charlize Theron did. I love Tom Hardy in it. So I'm a little more intrigued with Roger Miller. Who's what now?
3: How old is he? he's seventy, seventy-nine. 79. And, you know, it's interesting because I was talking about this the other day about this trend, you know, Eastwood's 93, uh, Martin Scorsese's 90. You got, um, uh, Spielberg's up, up there Rid- too, right? You got Ridley Scott, who's 80, just turned 86 the other day. Spielberg's up there. Uh, you know, listen, these guys still have a lot to bring to the table. They're great filmmakers. And you know what they say? You know, age brings great experience. So I- I'm all for it. And Anya Taylor Joy has
2: got some appeal. There's something about her that resonates on screen. I'm not going to lie about that. Ever since I saw her in, uh, in Split, right, with the 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 uh, the uh, right. and, like Shyamalan movie, and she's done really well on uh, the streaming show that she did, the the uh, the Gambit, right, the Queen's Gambit. So mm-hmm. uh, there's appeal there. Um, she's definitely a screen presence, and the guy knows how to direct action scenes. There's just he no. Certainly does. He certainly does. No way does. around it, and not, yeah, and he doesn't count time. on. He doesn't rely on CGI. I, I like no. he's got a lot of practical action that's really good. So what? I, I I think it could work. Coming up a little bit later on, uh, Chuck's interview with Neil McDonough, the uh, star of the new film The Shift. And uh, he got to talk to the creators of Cobra Kai, Josh Held, John Hurwitz, and Hayden Schlossberg. And before we go into the Karate Kids uh, franchise, I do want to note I have watched some of Obliterated, their new series on Netflix, mm-hmm. which um, it talks about – I mean, it's got a great concept. The special ops team try to uh, find a nuclear bomb in Vegas. They deactivate it, they get it, they save the day, and they go out and celebrate that night in Vegas only to find out that that bomb was a fake and there's really still a bomb in in, uh, Vegas. And in the overnight hours, they have to track down the bomb while they're overcoming, um, you know, drugs, alcohol. So it's like the hangover meets Mission Impossible. There's some appeal to it, mostly unnamed actors in in the leads here. Um, And see Thomas Howell over the top. Where in in one in episode one we get to see all and I mean all of C Thomas Howell and in episode two he's basically weekend at Bernie's he's so passed out they're just carrying him around. There's some fun here. It's definitely made by these three guys because this is the same tone that Cobra Kai has taken over over the last three seasons. Um, it, it's fun. It, not a lot of great dialogue, but it's definitely got some production value to it. It's about, like I said, it's a lot like Cobra Kai. Uh, a lot of attitude and over the topness, not a lot of character development, but uh, it's definitely
3: watchable. I will keep watching. I will get to the end of it. So um, that's something right, I suppose. I got one question for you. I, I I watched bits and pieces of episode one. It certainly brings new meaning to, to botchery. No yeah. doubt about it. Here is my question. Uh, very simple question for you. Is this content or is this a show that's going to go on a good word of mouth?
2: Boy, it's hard to say. It's very rated R, so it's very adult-oriented, which is kind of nice, too. It doesn't pull any punches. It's not afraid Mm -hmm. to be unwoke and all that kind of fun stuff. So I think there might be something there. I just, you know... It's it, the, the it's saturated, you know, right now. The, actually, Netflix has done a real good job recently of releasing a lot of real good material. That's what worries me. There's just so much to watch, Chuck. It's just like how can one stand out when there's all right, there's five other streaming services, they're all releasing stuff, not a, let alone Netflix has so many things in their queue. Um, can it stand out? It might, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what about it would make it stand out from all the rest.
3: And, and what I do find fascinating is how this stuff is marketed. I mean, obviously, these guys are doing the radio circuit. That's yeah. why they did an interview with us. Uh, it's not like they have big budget marketing campaigns behind it, really. A lot of people just find this program going on Netflix and saying, hey, this is the number two show of the week. That must be good. I'll watch it. Yeah. That's, really the, that's really what sets tick, gets people a tick to yep. watch these shows. I, I do find that uh, extremely interesting.
2: Well, let's go back to 1984, Chuck. And I remember my sister uh, coming to me and saying, "Mike, you got to see the Karate Kid. It's it's so good. It's just like Rocky." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, like whatever. High school kid learning karate in California. Mm -hmm. With that, I'm not a big Ralph Macchio fan. And the Outsiders, I guess he was good in that. I'll go see it. What the hell? Yeah, even the directors from the Rocky one. Oh, so maybe it's got a chance. And uh, boy, it uh, it caught on in our favorite movie year of all 1984 it might stand out at the top as one of the best of the year um karate kid garnered an oscar nomination for pat Morita. uh it's it's stood the test of time it's i know taught in school as well about mentor and student and how you can um co- coach people along not only in school but in sales departments as well chuck their karate kid is used as a device for how to get a sales team to do what they need to do uh, without even knowing that they're wow. doing it um it, Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote the first three, is responsible for this. Karate Kid's a classic, Chuck. I mean, we've talked about it a million times on this show. Uh, you know, 1984, June 22nd, it's released. And, you know, it is what it is. It, there, there's no one. There's no other like it.
3: I remember seeing it the first time in a the theater I went with a buddy. And uh, it was a true definition of a sleeper. I, I got to be honest. I didn't know what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. But it it completely... Won me over. I wound up seeing The Karate Kid back in 1984 ten times in a movie theater. Actually, at the Avenue movie theater in Brooklyn, I used to buy a ticket, Mike, right before the tournament started to watch the <laughs> tournament and then rewatch it, uh, re re rewatch it again. I mean, it's it's a textbook example of character over uh, anything else, over explosions or special effects. Yep. Yep. It's, it's a completely emotional experience. And I got to tell you, when I <clears throat> screen this movie for the ESU girls soccer team last month, when the tournament starts, it completely envelops you. uh, And you are 100% all in. And it's an emotional ride. And everything that came before it pays off in spades. It is a truly great movie. And you're right. It is an absolute classic film.
2: Yeah, and it's a true underdog story, but more than anything else, it's a love story between uh, Miyagi and Daniel, and it expands on that love story in Karate Kid Part 2 as they go to Okinawa in 1986, a successful follow-up to the Karate Kid, which I actually enjoyed. I thought it was – it drags a little bit in in the middle of it, and there's some stuff in there that Daniel LaRusso does that, you know – you really don't, you know, he turns almost into a superhero a little bit in a couple of scenes, but the relationship is expanded upon between, and you really get some depth from Pat Morita's character here too. Chuck understanding where he's from and what his family's gone through. And the last 10 minutes with the scene on the, on the little Island there, uh, you, you can't help it get wrapped up in bill conti's music and the big showdown and and the and the payoff at the end it's all there it just it it probably has got too big of a running time and and too much of what we've already seen but it's still a very watchable and a good movie
3: no it's a good movie listen when i went to see this in the theater and i saw this multiple times also uh i thought it was a very good sequel yes some of the some of it is beat for beat uh but what i did like the stakes feel very real yeah. at the end and he He was a great villain. I mean, he was a great villain, a great adversary uh, for Daniel LaRusso. I mean, uh, the the one bummer about the sequel, obviously, is they had the realization that uh, Elizabeth Shue did not come back. So they had a writer writer out of the script fairly quickly, which is not, you know, it doesn't really jive with the original film. But yet, once you accept that, I think it's a very good, solid sequel to the original film. I agree, and
2: and, and the uh, love interest in that is good too. She did a yes. real good job. Yeah, I thought she she was very good. Um, mm-hmm. now the disaster, now the disaster, which we get to June thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine. I remember going to see this with my brother, and I already knew going in. I think uh, Ralph Macchio is probably pushing thirty some odd years old, thirty five years old, playing mm-hmm. a teenager still in uh, a Kid Part Three. Now look, it's schlocky. It's over the top. It's not good, but Thomas Ian Griffith is very good as the villain in this film. The but the implausibility of the tournament, the All Valley tournament, what Daniel Larusso has to do to win it, is is just it's so funny. It's so shockingly over the top. Not only does he not have to compete in the entire tournament, Chuck, not only does he have to just get through the uh, the match against the bad guy, but all he has to do is one punch in overtime that all these new rules that pop up in the All-Valley Tournament, and it's just one year later on. The fact that we're supposed to believe it's one year later on and what happens in this tournament, and look, Ralph Macchio is... Is almost a cartoon character of himself in this film. It's because he's so old, he's so lanky, he's so nerdy. It just does. It doesn't work, Chuck. And and Pat Morita does all he could to keep it all together. I will say, Thomas Ian Griffith is a good foe, but boy, oh boy, it's this movie's laughable now. Of all the things it tried to do.
3: Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say about this film. When I went to see it, this is one of th- I think three movies where the 35 millimeter reel broke in the middle of the movie. And they had to and and they had to tape it back and fix it. I do think this movie has entertainment value. Uh, but I agree with most of the points you made. It almost felt like director John G. Alveson, he got tired. Yeah. I hate to say he I hate to I I never use I never like to use the word or the phrase phone it in, but it sort of felt like he was phoning it in based on that ending, because that ending, you know, we both talk about like um Jurassic Park 3. It was almost like the 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 reel fell off in the third act. Like there's gotta be more to this than there is. And it feels so quick, so short. Like John G. Alveson said, you know what? We've done we've been there, we've done that.
2: That's what it I, is. I, I, I
3: can't create I can't create anticipation of real excitement like the original film or the second one. And I just took a couple shortcuts and let's get out of here. <coughs> I do think oh, I, I didn't know there I, I was
2: overtime in a turn in a in a in a karate match. I, I didn't realize
3: yeah, that. I, I mean overtime limit. I didn't realize I mean, that. I mean Thomas Ian Griffith is so over the top. It yeah. plays like a roadrunner cartoon. It
2: does. Uh, it does. But
3: it does have a lot of entry. It does have some entertainment value. And the scene when Miyagi uh f- fights, fights. them. For, yeah, for him Chris and Mike. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean yeah, that, yeah. That, that that scene is fun. It still gets your adrenaline pumping. And then, you know, to see Daniel like turn to the dark side <laughs> of, of, of the force was was really interesting, but I do agree. I mean, listen, he started, he was, he was not a kid anymore, you know, right. and, and you're, no. you're trying, you're trying to stretch a guy who's like almost 30 years old into playing a teenager, you know, it, it, it's sort of a weird feeling, well, but you know, it's yeah. not a terrible movie. It's not like, I mean, it's not a terrible movie. It's it, it basically, it's like a two out of four star movie for me. It's, it's very watchable, but in comparison to the first two, uh, it's it's a step down, no doubt. Now, a big, uh, a big years, step down from the first
2: one. Well, yeah, and five years later, ten years after the original, uh <clears throat> Christopher Kane would take over as director, Mark Lee would write, and Jerry mm-hmm. Weintraub would produce again. Uh the next karate kid, which we got Hillary Swank taking over the role as the new kid. No Daniel mm-hmm. LaRusso here, but we do get Mr. Miyagi back, which let's face it, he is the kingpin of all these films. He is what keeps it all together. He mentors another uh another student. Um very thin on story here. It was interesting to see their chemistry. It does work. Um, the fight scenes are okay, but there's really not much in this film that what I would say is memorable other than the fact that we got introduced to Hillary Swank.
3: Yeah. I mean, you talk about over the top, Michael Ironside.
2: Yeah. Michael oh, Ironside shows up I as mean, the villain here. Yeah. I, I
3: mean, I mean, that's, that scene when he's in this, in the street, when the fight, Oh my, I mean, that's so over the top. It's, it's, it's atrocious. Um, it's not,
2: it only, it only made like $19 million or $15 million on a $12 million budget too. So yeah, nobody audiences weren't interested anymore.
3: The mat. Yeah. The magic world. There's no doubt about it. Now the question is in Cobra Kai season six, any chance they've going to get Hillary? They get her back. I mean, they got everybody else
2: back. Elizabeth came back too. I mean, I I don't see why not. Uh, It, it she does still do do film work and she's popped up on a couple of Netflix series. I I mean I never say never. They hmm. you know they've really pulled off. I, I,
3: I think you got a thirty percent chance to see her.
2: Um, one more note, and we talked a little bit about it last week, is the because we talked about the new film coming uh, out in December of twenty twenty four, the sixth edition. But the Karate Kid did come out in twenty ten with uh, Jackie Chan and uh and of course will smith's son jaden smith in the lead we both enjoyed it um different yeah, like location it. different uh uh theme but uh because it's not even karate they're doing in this film uh but it's it's a good movie it's not a bad movie i i enjoyed well, it, I liked it. I and it made jackie some money chan too. made a lot of I money thought ja-
3: i thought Jackie. i thought jackie jackie chan was excellent in the film yeah. but i thought it was good solid it's not you know it's not as it's not if you ask me to watch one karate kid on the big screen, it's always going to be the original 84 film, but this is a good film.
2: And, you know, as we head towards the interview with Josh held John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, which you had a chance to do this week. um, Just a note on Cobra Kai and my feelings on it. um, I think it definitely jumped the shark uh, season four on one, two, and three are fantastic with some really high notes in season two. I just think, I mean, the amount of rage these kids show by season five I mean, they're ready to snap it. And, you know, you say hi to them. And they're like, let's go. We're fighting. I hate you. I'm like, it just, to me, these guys have gotten a little bit out of the, uh, the essence of what made the first couple of seasons here special characters. We know get developed even more. Um, the, the, uh, what they did with William Zabka is just mind bogglingly great. They made Johnny oh, yeah, Lawrence great. a sympathetic character.
3: That's what makes it special the first couple seasons.
2: I just think once they got all these kids and all they're doing is fighting to me, it got a little too soap opera and cartoonish and it got away from, from, I hope they get back to it for this final season, but it gotten away from the magic that they captured in those first couple seasons on YouTube. And then that third season on Netflix,
3: you know, I almost forgot, you know, when I interviewed these guys that did a little crap, I almost forgot that it originated on, on uh, YouTube red. Yeah, you know, and 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 it did very well, and then obviously it was a coup for Netflix to obtain the uh, property. But there's no doubt those guys are the talented guys who have. A, they're they're in the driver's seat over at Netflix. Probably could pitch any product, uh, any project that they uh, want at this point.
2: And the and and there's no doubt about it too. They love the content that they're doing. They love this. Uh, story. They love these characters, and it was so apparent in the first few episodes. They hit every note of nostalgia possible. Um, they've just gotten away from nostalgia, and they've gone into total um fight mode. I guess is is what I. Uh, but it wasn't. It's enjoyable to see Martin Cove and Thomas Ian Griffith and all these guys hamming up and be back and be part of our lives still. It's just the kids. I mean, the amount of fighting they do on this
3: series is just yeah. ridiculous. You know, I mean I missed the All Valley tournament. Yeah, I got to tell you, when I interviewed them, I did press them on one question, which they kicked back at me. I asked them about the possibility of Netflix test screening the last episode of Cobra Kai to make sure the fan base accepts it. And I, and their answer, I thought, was uh, pretty interesting.
2: All right, well, let's go to that interview now with Chuck and and the creators of Cobra Kai.
3: On the line today, three very special guests. Josh Held, John Hurwitz, and uh, Hayden Schlossberg, the creators and showrunners of the immensely popular show on netflix cobra kai which will start shooting it's sixth season i believe and will air at the tail end of 2024. the guys are currently promoting their new show on netflix which airs this thursday night november 30th it's titled obliterated i'm looking forward very much that guys thank you very much for coming on the program it's good to be here okay i got a chance to watch the trailer to this new show and in the press release it says it's a cross between the hangover uh, meets 24. When I watched the trailer, I got to be honest with you, I'm 57 years old. I'm a big product of the 1980s. And the first thing that popped in my in my mind when I watched the trailer, which I thought was awesome, by the way, was Bachelor Party from 1984 with Tom Hanks. What inspired you guys? I'm sure you had a lot of ideas for different shows that you wanna might want to produce. Why this one? Why did you want to do this one? What inspired you to do it?
4: Now, it's funny you mentioned Bachelor Party because, you know, the three of us, we've all been friends since we were uh, teenagers and uh, lived it, moved to L.A. together and have been to many a bachelor party together. But the, the idea that inspired this was actually based off of, uh, you know, the film wrap party that we had for Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, which was the very first movie that Hayden and I made. Uh, you know, you're, you, you, you were shooting in Toronto. We were away kind of in a camp-like setting with a, a big group of people making a show together. And uh, we went to our very first rap party, and what we saw at the rap party were people that were thinking they're never going to see each other again. So everyone's letting their freak flag fly. People are drinking too okay. much, you know, doing doing some drugs. People are hooking up with each other. People are telling each other off. And we thought, what would happen if, uh oh, they it turned out that you know the film canister was uh, destroyed, and they needed to, and we needed to go back to work in that state. And that was sort of the inspiration for this show. But we figured. You know, uh, wouldn't it be, uh, we figured these, you know, heroes in, a, in America and all around the world that saved the day and, you know, somebody who, you know, cap, they, you know kill Osama bin Laden. What are, what are, what's a group like that doing afterwards? They're probably partying and humans just like the rest of us. So we wanted to humanize these heroes and, and send them on, a, on an adventure.
3: Now, the tone of the show, I also noticed, obviously, this is hard-arm material, a very different tone than Cobra kai why hard R? What was the what was the idea behind going to that extent? Which I like, I I do I do like it. I think the trail is awesome. Just give me your thoughts on well, that.
0: Yeah, this is the world that we're from. You know, before Cobra Kai, you know, the guys and I uh, lived exclusively in uh, R-rated comedy, uh, you know, worlds. You know, with Harold and Kumar, Hot the Time Machine, American Reunion, Blockers. You know, our whole careers were spent writing big, bold, um, edgy, pushing the envelope R-rated comedies. Uh, then we went to television, and we leaned into our inner child, and have been kind of living in the uh, the Karate Kid universe uh, for the past few years, which is wonderful, and it allows us to flex another muscle. But at the heart of both of those, um, you know, stories are character. You know, we always write with character first. You know, with, with Cobra Kai, it's how can we tell this, you know, story of good and evil and gray areas. Mm-hmm. Obliterated, it's how can we look at uh, heroes who, you know, do the dirty work of saving the day, oftentimes, you know, things we don't even know what they're doing, and how can we, you know, look behind the veil at these uh, people who are kind of more like ideas, um, and then discover that they are, you know, capable of as much dysfunction as anyone, and put them in Vegas, and put them in situations where they're going to uh, experience the height of debauchery, and you've got yourself um, a extremely R-rated uh, project that you should not watch with your kids if you're looking at this and saying oh it's the cobra kai guys and you're watching this with your kids um you know please remember i said don't um because (laughs) it's for adults this is this is vegas after dark this is you know everything that you know you expect and a lot of things that um you're not expecting are are going to be on the screen
3: okay good now uh again based on the trailer I i noticed now tell me about the casting first thing i noticed i said to myself "Wow." See Thomas Howe. Isn't that really cool? Why see Thomas Howe? Obviously, I'm assuming we're fans of him in in the 1980s. Is that why you cast him?
5: You know, we went into this casting process looking for the Mm -hmm. best actors. The best thing about working with Netflix is they have huge, huge hit shows that have actors in them that, you know, that weren't famous before the show. Look at Stranger Things. So they said to us, just find the best people. And there's, you know, so a lot of our cast is is fresh and up and coming, and this is like, you know, the first big starring role. But for this one role of Haggerty, he's the guy who deactivates the bomb. Uh, that's his role on the team. And we always thought like right. that that job is so you have to be such a wild person to have that as your as your living. Um, and we like the idea of like this. Seasoned old veteran who's just like when you have like the the most difficult bomb you you bring this guy out, and we so we just started looking around and we saw C. thomas howell uh we we had not seen him in in a while and he just has this crazed kind of wild look, and we thought mm-hmm. you know what he just is he looks like the guy in our that we're picturing, and when he auditioned, he just, it reminded us when we cast uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kumar back in the day. It's just like, whoa, nobody's gonna see. Nobody's ever seen C. Thomas Howell this way, and I can tell you right. you'll see more of C. Thomas Howell on this show than you've ever seen before.
3: <laughs> cool. I, I, listen, I'm certainly a, a C. Thomas Howell fan. I, I'll tell you a quick footnote. My all-time favorite film is A Poseidon Adventure from 1972. C. Thomas Howell's father, Chris Powell, were actually was on deck next to Leslie Nielsen when the 90-foot tidal wave uh, hit the SS Poseidon back in 1972. I think that's why he was cast in the TV remake, the Hallmark remake of the Poseidon Adventure uh, in 2005. Uh, so another question to you guys, Josh, John, and, and Hayden. In terms of action, what has inspired you in terms of action movies to, uh, to in, in, in feature films to get ideas for, for this show? What, what are your favorite action films?
4: Oh, I mean, we loved we loved the Die Hard movies. We love, you know old, old school Schwarzenegger and and Stallone, uh, and then we loved like you know the the movies uh, of the '90s, the Armageddon's of the world, The Rock, uh, True Lies. These were all the movies you're right in my wheelhouse. And, and, and yeah, we fell in love with the action in those movies. We fell in love with the tone of those movies. There was a fun uh, a fun element to the action. So I think that you know when making Obliterated, we were trying to bring that kind of fun energy combined with you know big r-rated laughs
3: now it's an eight episode season this show uh is this a self-contained one season show or do you have ideas for a season two when this because i have no doubt based on that trailer this will be extremely popular this week on on netflix it's just a great it's a great trailer great concept people are going to watch this show is this is, is there material for season two
0: everything we've ever designed has been, you know, with, with a design toward franchise. We have, you know, a, a big idea for season two and uh, you know, another one for season three and beyond. Uh, but you'll be able to watch the entirety of season one as this big kind of bold movie. You know, we kind of look at uh, obliterated more like a movie franchise where a successive season is going to be like a huge sequel. And then you're going to get to see the third one. And then maybe there's a fourth one. But it's, you know, less like a TV show where, uh uh-oh, what's left to to wrap up with this particular storyline? Fall in love with these people. Fall in love with the tone. You know, fall in love with the action. And uh, wait to see where we go in season
3: two. I got an interesting question. I want to pick your brain on this. You got this new show coming out. You have Cobra Kai, which is very popular. I want to ask you a question about Cobra Kai. When the last episode is is being shot when you film the last episode of season six which will end the series will that episode be screened will that be tested to see the reaction before it airs and i'm going to tell you why i asked that question because and then i want to ask you a question about fan service i'm a huge fan give you example i'm a huge fan of dexter right and during thanksgiving Uh i was i was like i want to watch something again so me my wife and daughter decided to binge watch the entire uh, last season of Dexter New Blood, and I thought the season was absolutely great. I loved every minute of it, until the last fifteen minutes of episode ten, which where I felt that the showrunner went off the rail rails and did a disservice to the character, which millions of people love. Right. So, in terms of Karate Kid uh, Cobra Kai, that last episode, will you have complete as showrunners one hundred percent say? on that last episode, will Netflix have you test screen that to get a reaction?
5: I I don't think that we're going to test screen it, only because we've never done that with any episode of this show. I mean, sometimes Netflix will do their own test screenings that we, you know, are not, uh, you know, like even present to just to do stuff for their marketing. But, you know, in terms of the creative content We just, Mm -hmm. we're we're writing for the three of us. We are. uh, That's what I want to ask.
3: So you're writing for the three of you.
5: Go ahead. That's it. I'm saying there's a huge audience out there. We know it. But we built this Mm -hmm. audience, this huge audience, Mm -hmm. based on what we like. And so this is going to be an ending that the three of us would like. And thus far that has worked the whole way through. If all of a sudden in the last episode, it's like there's some sort of discrepancy, you know, it would be shocking to us. So I think we're just going to do the same thing that we've done the whole way through. And I I don't see Netflix, uh, you know, treating it any differently.
3: I'm just, I just, I'm just curious of that because I know, you know, there's always a, that debate about fan service. What exactly do you give the fans everything they want? Do you try to throw twists and hooks and really what is the best strategy not you know to please the fan base and should you please a fan base 100 percent or should you give them something fresh and original I, I think that's an interesting discussion give me your ideas i, I was uh, reading an interview about you guys online and talking about the possibility of you guys doing a ferris bueller spin-off uh, could you expand on that idea is that a reality yeah,
4: so it's called uh, Sam and Victor's Day Off, and it follows uh, the same day as Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but from the point of view of uh, the valets that you meet very briefly in the movie, the guys who steal the car and go on their own joyride. We've always been fascinated by those characters. We've always liked the, the you know side characters or minor characters. I mean, even look at you know Cobra Kai, which was taking kind of the bully from the Karate Kid and putting him front and center. Uh, so. This is actually, it's a feature idea. It's in process right now. We're working with a, a team over at, at Paramount on it. We have a, a script that's uh, undergoing uh, some changes and we're circling uh, a director right now. I can't tell you specifically a timeline as to when it's happening, okay. but it's something that we're really excited about that we think uh, you know fans of uh, Ferris Bueller should love, but you get to see a different side of, of uh, 1980s uh, Chicago than you, you saw typically in the John Hughes
3: movies that sounds uh awesome to me i want to get your idea on this uh, um uh, in 2016 i'm associated with a nonprofit movie theater i'm actually doing this interview in pennsylvania with you in east strasbourg pennsylvania and I, I i cultivate a lot of classic revivals so in 2016 i did a revival of the karate kid and there was a board member who went to college with john g Alveson, the director of the karate kid so i said to him is there a possibility you can get in contact with John to do a taped introduction to the audience before the before we screen it? so the next day I get an email from John G. Allison and he says, hey Chuck, how you doing? What do you need? And I said, John, I'm doing a revival of the Karate Kid. Do uh, You think you would have time to do a taped introduction? And he said, sure. So for over the next week in a series of emails, John corresponded with me. And he wound up doing an eight minute taped introduction with behind the scenes stuff. And it was absolutely awesome and extremely flattering. So I asked him a question, one question, I said, I need to know the answer to this question. I said, why did you cast Ralph Macho as Daniel LaRusso? And he said, Chuck, the reason I cast him is because one, the studio wanted Robert Downey Jr. And I said, really? He said, yes. And he said, the reason I fought for Ralph Macho as Daniel Russo is because he possessed the quality that I wanted. And it was he had vulnerability. He was vulnerable. And that's what I wanted. And that's why I won, won out. And he was cast. What do you think of that thought that, that John said that? Do you, you find that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, we were
0: six years old when we saw The Karate Kid in 1984. And, you know, as kids, you you just respond to the Daniel character. You know, he has so much built-in sympathy. You feel terrible for him. Um, you know, he's having, you know, a no good, very bad, uh, horrible uh, introduction to Southern California. Um, the three of us are from Jersey. So it was even you know that much closer to home. The idea of going to this far off land where everyone was blonde and uh, nobody liked you for some reason. And they had karate gangs. So, I mean, there, there was, you know, very little not to love about, um, you know, Ralph's portrayal of Daniel. And then, you know, that relationship that uh, Daniel forms with Miyagi. Um, you know, it's undeniable. I can't imagine, you know, okay. that duo as anyone other than Pat and Ralph. And it's been, I w- you know, a lifelong dream fulfilled for us to be able to work with, uh, with Ralph on Cobra Kai.
3: I agree. I actually saw uh, Karate Kid uh, back in the theater in 1984 ten times in the theater. It's one of my all-time favorite films. Listen, guys, Josh, John, Hayden, new show, Obliterated, coming out this Thursday on Netflix. An absolute pleasure. Best of luck. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. You too. On the line, a very special guest, Neil McDonough, who uh, is a household face, certainly currently stars in the movie called The Shift, which opens the theaters on December 1st. Most people would know Neil for his great work in, in shows like Band of, Band of Brothers, which he did for HBO, uh, Suits, Yellowstone, and uh, Steven Spielberg's. Uh, one of steven spielberg's films uh neil thanks for coming on the show pleasure to speak to you thanks chuck nice to be here thank you very much and that movie was minority report i just had a uh, mental hiccup now you're in this new movie the shift uh you play a character called the benefactor which is primarily you're playing the devil and it's a modern day retelling of the story of job uh with a modern twist and maybe a little bit of a sci, sci- fi twist you did, did this film for angel studios comes out december 1st how did you get involved in this project i know this is i just want your opinion on this because i interviewed john rasenberger about a month ago who was doing a faith-based movie with kevin sorbo called miracle in texas and when i described it as a faith-based movie he sort of hiccuped on that and he said this is a movie for everyone so when i say that the shift is a faith-based movie. How would you respond to that generalization?
1: Wow, that's, that's, that's an interesting question, Chuck. Yeah, and and, and John's a pretty smart guy, uh, very smart guy, and what a talented dude he is, also. Um, this is just a this is just a really good film. I I think the word faith-based with films gets kind of maligned at times. That it's this saccharine, sweet film just made for a certain sect of people, and that's not this. This is a film that calls you out to be better. And can you have faith in yourself, faith in your relationship, faith in God, faith in, in, in all of these things? And by playing the devil, you know, at first I said, no, I've, you know, I played some very dark characters and Justified and Yellowstone and all kinds of things. Right. But first I said, right. no to this. And then my wife and I, Ravey and I, you know, we sat down, and we talked, we prayed about it, and she's like, look, you're probably the best villain in the business. And you probably have one of the greatest relationships with God. So I think you need to play this part, because you you wouldn't want to have someone play this part who makes them really dark and dirty. You want to find the humanity somehow in Lucifer, because at one point Lucifer was so close to God and was one of his guys, and he made bad choices. And we all make bad choices in life. Every single day, as I've said before, we're all sinners. We're all idiots at times. We all do things we're certainly not proud of. But it's how we get up and deal with those mistakes that we've made that dictate what kind of man or woman you are, how you can be a better dad, how you can be a better you know, wife or husband or, or, or father, or, and, and anything, how you can be better at whatever you're doing. And the movie The Shift calls you out on those things, how you can have faith in, and really, the bottom line is really have faith in yourself. It doesn't matter what your religious belief is or your creeds or, or where you're from. What we do, what Ravey and I have been doing, we've been so blessed to be able to make films that give glory to him for sure, but really talk about some darker issues and and subject matters, real-life stuff that you have to get through. This one happens to have a great backdrop of sci-fi and action, but it's the love story that is everything in this to me. And I I think what Angel Studio has done, and what Ravey and I have done, helped produce this thing, we're so right. proud of what we did, and we did it the correct way. And and I think the audience are really going to love this film, and the word
3: of mouth, and this is going to be pretty substantial. Awesome. I, I got a question. Now, let's go into the marketing aspects of this type of film. You know, I, I, When I interviewed John, I watched a few videos of Kevin Sorbo in interviews, and he made a statement which is 100% accurate. He said, if you have a good movie, and obviously you believe in this movie, for every good movie you have and you believe in it, for the most from any primary hollywood project you need 30 million dollars to get the american public to know that movie exists in terms of marketing now this summer there were three major stories in the industry one was bobby one was oppenheimer and the th- and the third was sound of freedom and the difference between bobby and oppenheimer and sound of freedom is that angel studios did a grassroots marketing campaign and made sound of freedom one of the biggest most surprising hits in decades i mean it basically came out of nowhere nobody could have ever predicted it could have did that box office 184 million uh in the states 247 million worldwide so how do you market uh neil how do you market this movie to make it profitable how does that work
1: it's pretty simple. It's just got to be good. Go you know, if, if Sound of Freedom wasn't a good film, no one would have would have gone to see it. True. But what Angel Studio does is when they when they make a good film, and they have their crowdfunding. You know, Angel Studio has their guild that you put one of you and this is amazing. You put a couple of scenes of whatever movie you want to do on their guild, and they vote on it. There's thousands of people that vote on it, and once they get okay. that 50 percent approval rating. Then the crowdfunding goes in, and the Angel Acceleration Fund comes in, and they match the funds. And then they make the film. And then all those fans that, that you have this built-in audience, they're buying tickets. And they're telling friends, support this, because they know the, the products that we're making aren't just your regular dark Hollywood fare. It's, it Got talks it. about how we can be better human beings, how we can give glory to God, how we can do the right thing as, as, as humans should be doing. And that's the difference between Angel Studios and anybody else. It, do they have the $30 million to put into P&A to print advertising? No. Do they do their best? Yes, but it's a grassroots thing and a word of mouth like The Shift. You know, The, the Shift is going to be one of those films that people are going to go see, and then they're going to go see it again, and then they're going to tell people to go see it. And that and that's how this is going to go. I, I have, I have so much faith in this film that it's going to touch so many lives and make lives just that much better just for watching a film like this.
3: That's awesome, actually. Tell me about working with the lead actor in this in this film. I, I think he's a really good actor. He has a terrific screen presence. I've seen him many times in, in yeah, different uh, work. He's actually been in the business a long time also. Tell me about him.
1: Yeah, Chris Ruplaha is one of those guys yes. that, you know, I call him the modern-day Jimmy Stewart slash Cary Grant all rolled up into one. It's good know, analogy. This, you know, big, tall, dark, and handsome guy. Great-looking dude ultimate family guy and just a dynamite presence and what great actors do and and, and chris is one of those guys who, who isn't really a household name or face he's about to be but what he, he should be all the other great actors do is he listens he listens when mm-hmm. he's on set he listens to the character the other character what the other character is saying he's in the situation he immerses himself in the in in whatever is going on in the scene and he's great at it and then Sean Astin is, you know, I don't think ever Sean Astin's ever played a part like this before, and he's so good in it that it's just one of those films that, you know, it's the little engine that could, and you know, it's not a huge budgeted film, but it puts all the special effects, all the everything. It, you know, this wasn't a movie about getting paid big money. This is making a movie that will change the world a little bit, and
3: I, they just, I respect it
1: on the screen, and and it's just. Wonderful to be part of something like that instead of the big studio system where everything is. Here's hundred thousand dollars for craft service. Well, right. Yeah, you know, here's this for that, and all the fat that gets that gets cut off when you make a film like this with Angel Studios. We concentrate on telling the story at the highest possible way we can, and with Sound of Freedom, with The Chosen, with all the projects that they have. Angel Studio really is changing the mold, changing the way we make films. And I'm so
3: blessed to be part of their system. So I want to pick your idea on this and on the industry in general. Post-COVID, I've been doing a spot on on film, on radio for around 30 years. I've never seen an industry change so dramatically. And there's a lot of things about it that I don't like. I I don't like the way that the studio system shun movie theaters basically turn their back on movie movie theaters Uh, post-COVID. I know... the the innovation of streaming has a lot of positives and the show you were involved in Suits has regained a completely new generational audience I think that's awesome for streaming but I also think that the direction of primarily putting all the eggs in a simple basket of superhero movies was a horrendous idea that's going to haunt them for the next decades so give me your idea if I'm accurate saying that and where do you think a studio like Angel Studios will be in a decade tell me about that
1: Angel Studios will be laughing in a decade, and here's why. Tell me. You just kind of nailed it, Chuck. Everything has become these tentpole, $300 million, over-the-top comic book, crazy films. Generally pretty dark in nature. And the studios think that, well, if we spent $300 million on a film, we just want to see that this film, and then we'll a couple hundred dollars in P&A, and then more. So before you know you're into it. You're into it, into it, that film for five or six hundred million dollars, and when that film makes six hundred million dollars in the box office, it's a flop because yes. they want, they need to make a billion dollars for that film to be a hit. But what you what they forget to do is they forget to make simple storytelling, and that's the hard part. And what Angel Studios is doing is they're figuring out a way to do storytelling the correct way. So, and and Angel is making films that tell stories. And it isn't just about explosions. It's about telling stories correctly that people want to watch and hopefully learn from. And what Angel has done and what, what our company is doing, we're trying to make films that touch people and change lives, not just you know over-the-top explosion films, which are
3: great. Okay, so they're, you, they're fun so, to watch, but I need, I need stories. Understood. So you feel going forward, this is going to be a big part of your future career, doing films like this?
1: You know, we and I are making, about to make our fifth film now. What we're trying to do is just trying to tell great stories that give hope, and Angel Studios is going to allow us to do that for a very long time to come. So, because of that, we're yeah, we're going to, we're going to be with Angel for a long, long time.
3: Great. Now, on the line with Neil McDonough, who is in the new movie, The Shift, December first. Please check it out. Just really, uh, real quick, want to reminisce on your career. You have 146 acting credits. Your career, believe it or not, started in 1990. You were billed is a dock worker in Sam Raimi's uh, superhero movie Docman Do you do you remember doing that? Oh, like it was yesterday. Like, yeah. Tell know, me how, how, that, how that how that came about. How, how that came about.
1: I was in college, and mm-hmm. a friend of mine, uh, the casting or a friend of the family, was a casting director. A distance, kind of right. friend-ish, never met the lady, but I went in and audition for dock worker number two, and I got the part, and uh, and and that was that was the first role that I ever met, you know, I'd ever had, and I met Sam, and then. Went back and I think I finished up college and came back out and then, uh, my, one of my first auditions was to play Lou Gehrig in the Babe story and I got uh-huh. and I got the part and I, th- I think a lot of it was when I auditioned for Sam he said do you have anything and I did a you know Shakespearean soliloquy for him he's like oh my gosh you're way too you know, talented for this small role and you know we were on Sam we talked a lot and we talked a lot about confidence and Sam was, was really kind of yeah you know, I'm not sure sure if he remembers like, it because it's so long ago but. Kind of an integral part in believing yourself, and great things will happen. Because you've got so much talent, and I always believe—I always took that to heart. And confidence—if you can go through life with confidence, that's great. If you have talent and confidence, what's going to stop you? So that—that's where I've been my whole life, and uh, I've been just blessed to have the career that I've
3: had. Two other things—I was watching a clip of you uh, in the uh, last night. Uh, in the movie *Angels in the Outfield*, which you did in uh, 1994, you played this wacky, hyperactive relief pitcher. I got to tell you, when I was watching the cl- clips, I was laughing. You were really, really funny in that in that movie. Thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, *Angels*, Angels was 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 awesome because it was uh, it was right after my mom passed away, and you know, I just I. I... Maybe I just ratcheted my confidence up in my belief, or I just had an angel on my shoulder, uh, in my mom. And that when I did the film, I just I wanted to just be as funny and steal as many scenes as possible, so people would notice Neil McDonough, and and uh, it kind of worked.
3: You know. So last question, Band of Brothers. What did that mean to your career? Everything.
1: I wouldn't be here without Band of Brothers. I met my wife
3: doing Band of Brothers. Tell me. Uh, All the guys on the shore, some
1: of my best pals. I got to play Buck Compton, who became like another father figure to me. I, it was it was the greatest thing. Everything will come in second place behind Ben. I don't care what it is. Everything will come in second place because Ben and brothers. You know, working for Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, telling the greatest story of the greatest generation of all time. How do you beat that? I, I don't think you can. And I was so blessed and fortunate to be part of something like that and, and to get to play a character that I did in Buck
3: Compton. And, and, t- and tell me about the pump-up speech Tom Hanks gave the cast that really motivated you guys.
1: Yeah, we, it, was, it was halfway through boot camp, and there was a mutiny going on. And uh, I had already broken three teeth and busted up my toe and my thumb. and you wow. know, I, But I was enjoying it. I am this gung-ho American type of guy, so it was working for me. Uh, and then Tom Hanks showed up in a helicopter on the set with his castaway hair and beard. And he gave the speech as to why we owe it to all the men and women, not just of Easy Company, but of World War II who gave their lives for us so we could have the freedoms that we have today. And that speech, which I called The Speech, just Mm -hmm. made us all realize we're not here just to be actors. We're here to tell the story at the best of our abilities, and we did. And because of Top Speech, it it became the greatest miniseries or show on television in in history of television, I believe.
3: Yeah, listen, I loved it. Uh, It was great, a great, great piece of work. Uh, Again, uh, Neil McDonough, who opens in the movie The Shift, December 1st. I got to tell you, Neil, you're one of the nicest people uh, I've ever spoken to. I wish you the absolute best of luck. I got a really strong feeling this movie's going to hit. It's going to do well. Uh, Pleasure to speak to you. Best of luck in all future endeavors. God
1: bless you, Chuck. Thank you so much.
3: You, You too. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Gurry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archive show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode.